Hello, welcome to Property with a View. I'm Mike Harlow, HM Land Registry's Deputy Chief Executive and Director of Customer Strategy. And in this podcast series, I'll be speaking to leaders across the property industry about how the process of buying and selling and mortgaging of all types of property is changing and what the Digital Property Market Steering Group can do to support it. The steering group is formed of a cross-section of institutions and bodies representing both the commercial and the residential sectors. It is a shared goal of accelerating change to a digital property market whilst ensuring it is transparent, secure and user-friendly. Much good progress has already been made through innovation within the market generally and by collaborative initiatives such as the Home Buying and Selling Group. The members' aims are to support all that by ensuring that their collective and individual actions are conducive to that healthy progress. It's all about pulling together to remove the barriers, fill in the gaps and speed up progress to a simpler, faster, more certain and less stressful process. In this first episode, we speak with Beth Rudolph. Beth is the Director of Delivery at the Conveyancing Association, Deputy Chair of the Home Buying and Selling Group, Chair of that uh, the Working Group for Reservation Agreements um, as part of the Home Buying and Selling Group, and she regularly chairs roundtable debates and panel discussions on all things to do with residential conveyancing. In this conversation with Beth, um, I explore why the system as it is needs to change, how much better it could be for people if we did change it, and what we need to do to make that happen. Welcome, Beth. Thank you. But it is, you're absolutely right, it's all about the consumer and trying to improve the home moving process for the consumer to create a positive home moving process for all. That's my sign bite done now. <laughs> so with that wealth of experience, you, uh, you know, have, have no doubt also built up frustrations about what doesn't work well uh, in the system. Why do you, why does it need to change? If you, you know, if you're, if you're outside of talking to people in the sector, um, you know, you bump into people at an afternoon barbecue or something and they say, oh, you know, my transaction didn't go very well. What, what do you say to them about um, how different it could yeah. be and, and why it needs to change? Well, I think, you know, anybody listening to this knows that at the moment we've got a really slow home moving process, really complex. Um, current average transaction time 22 weeks if you think that's almost six months can you imagine being stuck for six months without the certainty of knowing even if the property that you've seen is going to be the right property for you um, let alone whether or not you can buy it uh, and that is why we result in 34% of transactions falling through on average so it is horribly uncertain there is no transparency to the home moving process and if you think during those 22 weeks you can't book holiday because you don't know when your completion date is going to be you can't get the kids into school because until you've exchanged contracts there's no chance of doing that and you can't buy a sofa because uh, you can't change your credit score because then you won't get your mortgage what a nightmare um rory sutherland who's a behavioral economist uh talks about the greatest improvement um for british rail wasn't having faster trains wasn't having cleaner trains wasn't having better trains it was about having those dot matrix signs on the platform telling you that your train was delayed um, because then you could make a decision you felt in control and that is the difficulty we've got the home moves at the moment have got 22 weeks of feeling out of control and don't forget they are moving house for an emotional reason anyway probably death divorce um, maybe a child's on the way, uh, they're looking to get a bigger home, they're looking to downscale. All of these things, they come already in an emotional state and we're adding to that by not providing with that feeling of control. So I 
think that pretty much sums up why we need to improve the home moving process. I want to come back in a in a moment to that that question of how long it is and how long it needs to be because I think you you can't address the question of how complicated it 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 is without under, you know without unpicking the fact that it it is the biggest purchase it, it you know and it is risky isn't it I mean whether you're talking about commercial purchases or you know um, residential you are still talking about a very significant commitment absolutely and we're not we're not just talking about speeding it up either let's mm. be really clear about this yeah. because for some people 22 weeks would be absolutely fine yeah. but what we want is for them to have earlier certainty earlier knowledge that it's definitely going yeah. ahead and you and I know in other jurisdictions that's what's happened. In yep. Australia, you will um, have a binding offer and that will be a commitment right there, right then, because you've got everything available up front. And that then means that within two weeks, you know that you're buying that property, um, but you probably won't move still for another three months. But in that three months, what are you doing? You're getting your kids in school, you're organizing the packing, you're clearing out your own property. It's so different. I want to come back to that because I think there are, you know, it's it's interesting to sort of put into two columns the things that must happen and, and you know are always going to take time and the things that, that 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 could be quicker. But I want to go to why people move because I think that, as you say, is really important to understand and plays to how important it is for the system works um, uh, uh, in a, in, a, in a better way. I think um, so. Just talking about home buying and selling. Um, Give me the give me the reasons because I think we all know our personal reasons why we ended up moving. But you you know expand a little if you can on 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 the emotional drivers for moving because often we think of it as you know price driven or stamp duty window driven. I think you probably have a different view. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about that. I mean, certainly when I was an estate agent, you know, it was clear why people were were moving. You know, they they wanted to move because they needed to upscale, they needed more room. Um, or because they needed to downscale, or they had changed jobs and and they needed to move from one part of the country to another. Um, Sadly, when I first started as an estate agent, we were at the end of the 1980s recession, um, and all of those houses had been repossessed. So there were a lot of people, obviously, who were just financially incapable of staying in their property um, and were looking to sell up to avoid repossession. Um, uh, fingers crossed, <laughs> we're not going to have that again. Um, but as I say, these are the reasons that people move. Um, you have voluntary moves and you have involuntary moves. So your involuntary ones are those um, financial ones. Um, or, of course, you know, you've got people who can no longer care for themselves and so need to be moving out um, into warden control properties or places with care. Um, and then you've got the voluntary ones, which are the ones looking to upscale. Of course, people are buying, um, hopefully, we've still got a private um, rental sector, mm. um, although that's getting dodger and dodger by the moment. But, you know, there, there's all these reasons for people to need to move. Mm. And their use and enjoyment is a really important part of why they move. So sometimes the finances might actually sort of create the crisis that means you have to move. So, you know, ultimately repossession, I guess, is the worst, etc. But, But generally, what I hear you saying is that there's a lot of life events that are quite you know natural they're just part of the progression of life if you like and prices and and sort of stamp duty incentives might play a little bit with whether you go sooner or later but it's what the real the underlying driver for that move is probably something quite emotional and yeah you're absolutely right it's it's going to be um that trigger that makes you start thinking 
Or, of course, somebody sees a fabulous property on Rightmove because who doesn't have a quick look and see how much their house is worth occasionally? Yeah. Um, so the, there is that as well that goes yeah. on, of course. So you, you make a real... The, the, point, the point of going through that is you make a real significant commitment. You, you, know, you, you look around a house several times, you, you, know, you, you have a coffee afterwards, you decide you're going to buy it. That, for you, is the commitment as an individual, right? So that's the, the, the time when you, you, know, you then hope, I would imagine, that it then all just proceeds like some you know, simple piece of administration. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, you fall in love with the property. Yep. You go out to view it, it looks right view, it's got the right number of bedrooms, it's in the right location. Yep. Um, or indeed, it might not have the right number of bedrooms, but you think you can extend it yep. and alter it to make it yep. fit your family. Yep. Um, or it might have a loft conversion and you can put the kids up there, it'll be absolutely fine. Yep. Um, but that's it, you're totally in love with it and you're gonna put the offer forward. And we have all sat there after we've put our offers forward to buy a house, just waiting for the seller to come back yep. and say yes or no. And then trying to negotiate with them to, to get the property. And and at that point, it, it doesn't matter really whether it's the perfect property for you or not, it, it's winning that deal. So given the size of the investment, biggest purchase most of us ever ever make, and the risks inherent in it, because you know it's, it, it is something you need you know, you need help with and you need advice on. But if you are committed and you're sitting there thinking, I just want this to happen as fast as possible, or at least, you know, to know it's definitely mine and we're definitely moving as fast as possible, how quick could it be? You know, I mean, you know the ins and outs of every, you know, stage of the process. What What's, well, come on to what's stopping it being that quick, but, you know, what 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 is possible? How Ooh. how good could it be? So my the fastest conveyance I've been involved in took yeah. 45 minutes. Right. And that was because we had everything available yeah. uh, and the people were buying for cash yeah. uh, and there'd been a transaction that had fallen through you know, literally that morning. Yeah. And so everything was available. The seller's conveyancer was all on it. I was on it yeah. um, and, and my firm were on it. And we were therefore able to deal with the identity, the AML of the client. Yeah. Uh, everything was done. We'd already got the obviously the contract pack in because it had all been gathered for the previous purchaser that we'd been acting for. Yeah. So we had that knowledge and we had all of the information. It was a lovely bog standard property in Swindon uh, and it was 45 minutes. So 45 minutes to exchange the point of exchange and in actual fact they did complete that day as well just yeah. just because we thought we could so why didn't we it was, <laughs> it was a cash buyer looking uh, for buy to let so yeah, but, it fitted perfectly but it's important i think isn't it to kind of identify the time between exchange when you know you've got certainty that it's yours and completion is a kind of matter of choice right because well you say it's a matter of choice when you've got yeah. a chain of transactions uh, it's a matter of negotiation yeah. and the other thing that we find is that where the transaction has taken 22 weeks and yeah. if you imagine in that time, no certainty, yeah. no knowing what's going to happen, people start getting to the point that they feel they want to take control. And it's yeah. very much, I am only going to buy this property. I'm only going to sell this property to you if we exchange yeah. contracts tomorrow and complete the same day. Yeah. And so we end up with this awful position where we have these simultaneous exchange and completion. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, certainly the home buying and selling group are looking to push out um, a 1 p.m. completion timescale so that everybody is moved in the chain by 1 p.m. Yeah. Um, and to achieve that, really, we need to have an exchange of contracts at least five days, preferably two weeks beforehand, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that everybody can get their money organized and get everything ready to go. Yeah. 
because there is nothing worse than people on the day of completion finding that they're still in their boxes of yeah. you know waiting for the removal companies to finish packing them up and getting them in yeah. because it's taken so long I want to come back to chains actually because I'm, mm. I'm, I'm wondering whether chains are necessary talking to people from other jurisdictions they they like Norway they say chains don't exist and well, you wonder I, how much that is to do with yeah. just the way the system works and actually People yeah. worry less about linking things up. I think what we think of chains are is different from what they think of chains are. Yeah. So uh, people still move from one house to the next house mm. on the same day. So mm. they move from the house they're selling to the house they're buying on the same day. Mm. But of course, because they've already um, exchanged contracts mm. that virtually a binding offer, mm. um, then they don't have chains of transactions in the same way that we do, that everything mm. has to be tied together contractually to exchange. Mm. So you could almost say we were a little bit too sophisticated in mm. England, mm. Um, where we've uh, created this link um, where you've got to exchange contracts on your sale before your purchase and have them all ready at the same time to mm. go. Mm. And so actually it happens um, contemporaneously. Yep. Um, but in other jurisdictions, as you say, Norway, Australia, places like that, um, they will still move or can still move, not yes, always, but exactly. they can still move yeah. from their sale to their purchase. It's just that the certainty and the exchange of contracts happens very much quicker and in a different way. Yeah, and I think and it's, a the it's a theory of mine, <laughs> but I think that um, the fact that people feel it's less of a massive undertaking to exchange and move means that they worry less about lining things up in timing terms because this is you know what I've picked up for talking to others in other jurisdictions because they they know they can sell relatively easily and buy relatively easy so their worry about having a gap between the two and renting for a bit is less because they don't feel they're going to miss a boat you know miss the property market increases in prices and find they can't you know th th there's something about the sheer length of time and the effort of you know, of convincing process from from a customer point of view, that seems to me to play out in that anxiety of needing all everything to line up contractually. So. Yeah, I mean, no, absolutely. In uh, in England and Wales, we don't have enough property. We know that there's not yeah. enough housing stock. Um, yeah. Whereas in all the jurisdictions that you've mentioned, um, we know that there is the housing stock. Um, I think, as I say, there there yeah. is that move from sale to purchase. Yes, there's. When I researched it, there was no greater increase in the number of bridging loans or number of short-term rentals or anything yep. like that. Yep. Um, so I think that people can move. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as you say, you know, the pressure doesn't feel so great because the market isn't going to impact them. Uh, they have a different valuation model as well. Hmm. Um, in the, you know, it is about the quality of the property and yep. the construction quality. Whereas yep. in the UK, it's very much on the, yep. uh, the location and yep. you know where's popular. So cutting to the chase then, what 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 of that bit, what what, what was it in that forty five minutes of in the you know in the office bringing everything together, that can be done in every transaction, not necessarily in forty five minutes, but <laughs> and and you know so what are the kind of you know top three things that could be different and would make it a transformed process for for all of us, and still keep the essence of that you know. Um, well-managed, well-advised process because it 
you know, it comes with high risk. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, we talk about 45 minutes, it's like, oh my word. But actually, at auction, 27,000 properties every year sold at auction on Hammerfall. Um, So that's probably less than 45 minutes. The reason they can do that, and the reason I could do it, was because all of the information was already gathered available and upfront. So all of the title, all of the property information, all of the um, documents referred to in the title, all of the searches, all of the identification um, and all of the um, self source of funds and source of wealth and everything like that yeah. was sorted. Yeah. And, and that's the difference. That's what enabled it. I have to say it was also um, prior to the um, dematerialization of deeds. So there were deeds packets, mm. um, and which meant that we could dig into it if there was an additional inquiry and mm. get the answers directly from there. Yeah. Um, all of the information was available in one place. And where there had been a title issue in the past, yeah. um, it, where it had been resolved, the, the memos of documenting that were put with the deeds yeah. or with dead files so that yeah. it was possible to have, go and have a look at those yeah. and see where it was solved. If you think um, that same property now um, in Swindon, it's 150 years old, probably being sold, gosh, how many times? Hundreds of times. Mm. Um, now, that every time it is sold, all of that is reinvented. Mm-hmm. We look at it and we decide, well, hang on, has the planning permission been obtained for the galley-style kitchen and the mm-hmm. bathroom extension and all of these things? Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were time prior to 1970, so trying to get those documents from the local authority. So you've got to raise inquiries and then you've got to have a conversation about whether this is going to be an issue or not. Can you prove that it was done over four years ago and therefore yep. planning permission is unenforceable? Yep. Maybe it was done and there were con- um, conditional planning permission. Yep. You need 10 years then. So all of these things have to go through the the mind of the conveyancer. Yep. They have to raise those inquiries. And of course, because they're getting everything bit by bit, yep. each time they've got conflicting information. Yep. Um, so the TA6 says that the work's been done, yep. um, but the, there's nothing in the, um, in the title to indicate that there's anything safe about it. Yep. Um, then you get the searches in. The searches may or may not refer to the, um, the work's being done. Um, and therefore the additional inquiries get raised. Then you've got post-valuation queries coming out when the mortgage offer arrives um, because the valuer's taken a look and said, I'm assuming that all local authority consents have been obtained and then going back to the by um, the seller solicitor and saying well um, have all local authority consents been obtained then going back to the seller have they or not coming back to the seller's conveyancer then the seller conveyancer the buyer conveyancer then the buyer's conveyancer to the lender saying there are um, no building consents yeah. is this okay then them going to the valuer asking them and then back to the blender and then back to the buyer's conveyancer saying yeah that's fine you can exchange I mean just talking it through is more know, than 45 minutes so, <laughs> so just to, um, you, you mentioned a couple of kind of um, technical terms there. Dematerialization, um, for people who don't know, is, is when uh, the land registration process moved from I prove title by having a certificate in my hand with the things um, stacked behind it to it's the record that you see online and you you know you, you pay three pounds for from, from land registry. And don't forget. And TA six was the is the form that's used up front in the in the process to identify. Well, that, that's completed the information for the law society yeah. uh, transaction form. So it's yeah. the property information completed by the um, yeah. seller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, land registry dematerialized deeds in two thousand and two, yeah. uh, way ahead of its time, which was brilliant. Yeah. Um, but th- what this meant was that um, there was no longer an excuse for. 
uh, deeds departments, uh, um, the lenders or for the conveyances to have fireproof safes to be able to hold on to a deeds packet which has everything in it. Yes, you mean everything, you mean other information all that of used the information to go that, yeah. from, from all, owner to owner. All the guarantees and exactly. HBC certificates used yeah. to be passed Even from one to the next. Even if some of them might not be relevant anymore, yeah. you still got them. You I, still I, had them and you were them. able to use them. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think now, what what are we looking at? Yeah. Well, we can get all of these bits of, of um, information from different places, um, but actually, where, how long will it take to get them? Yeah. How do we know what people want to see? So... What you've just described there, um, correct me if I'm wrong, is um, in, in both the 45-minute example versus the <laughs> complexities of how it plays out in a, in a real-life real, real life scenario when you're not trying to crunch it all into 45 minutes, is you really need all the information that's available about the property, about the parties themselves, you know, the ID stuff, the identification stuff that enables you to know that you know, the transaction is real and secure, um, you need to know the progress of things because a lot of what you just described in the kind of, you know, doesn't work so well thing is a lot of people talking to each other, but talking to each other at times when they uh, don't have full knowledge and they're trying to understand a bit more and it's sort of push and shove and iterative. And so there isn't a, a sharing of the information. So the information isn't all there in the first place and then they kind of learn it piecemeal. Um, and then I guess, of course, no one person, because you've got a lot, you described a lot of people involved in that process, no one person really is on top of all of it. So no one person knows everything that's going on. And presumably then the phone or the email rings hot when someone says, well, it is happening. And, you know, A chases B chases C, you know, to find out that D hasn't done anything and background it goes. Is, is that a fair sort of... Yeah, absolutely. And particularly... Um, you know, post-COVID where everybody's trying to get back into yeah. the swing of things. But also, um, just like Land Registry, um, we've lost a huge number of experienced staff, um, as have surveyors and mm. valuers. And so there's a lot of people who've got to learn from scratch again. Yeah. Um, now, I may have been able to look at a title and go, oh, yeah, that's all right. I know that that's OK. Um, but there are trainees in, in the mix now who need somebody to chat to yeah. and say, is this all right? Or, you know, there's a breach of a restricted covenant. What, yeah. what can I do? And they, they need to have somebody experienced nearby them go, well, you can deploy Hepworth v. Pickles because the, that's been breached for 20 years. So right. you're quite safe. Um, so but with people working from home and things like that, it, yeah. it's not the same as it was when I was training to be a convincer. And I could walk into the senior partner's office and yeah. say, oi, I need an answer to this. Can you help me? So what if, therefore, we had all the information you could possibly want to know about the property, both the kind of you know stuff that local authorities hold, land registry holds, and, and the stuff that the owner holds, right? The, you know, the kind of uh, the bits of paper that they got when they got planning permission or, you know, or the building control certificates and the, and the, you know, the guarantees and the like that you talked about that used to sit in the deeds packet. What if, they, what if all that was available up front and all those people who are involved necessarily, you know, surveyors and lenders and conveyances, etc., all had a single source of the truth as to the property and a single source of the truth as to what was going on? Why, That's why? genius, Mike. Why don't we do that? That's <laughs> so, like a great idea. Well, it, but can we get rid of the paper and can we make it digital? Yeah. Because can you imagine if it was just data yeah. and it was able to be shared between all of those stakeholders in that process? Yeah. And, you know, land is registry, it, always up the game. So, you is know. It, is it as simple as that? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. It's so easy to do, but <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say so. But it, but, but it, you know, if you you know go back to the kind of basic thesis, you've got a willing buyer and a willing seller. So if if the buyer knows when they contract emotionally, right? So they say, "I'm going to buy it." If if they know everything they could possibly need to know, does that the thing that then a in a way makes the fallout rate much lower because no surprises. And B, make the process, therefore, much more straightforward because all the people that then have to, you know, rightly check and advise them because of the risks are also immediately sharing the same information that is the best it could be. Absolutely. And, and this is why I say let's make it digital. Yeah. Because the moment you make it digital, you can then deploy um, augmented intelligence to just pull out an exception summary yeah. of what is truly relevant. I could look at a local search and, you know, Con29, 169 questions, but I know that as long as all of the answers are no, apart from one question, yeah. which is are the highways publicly maintained, yeah. um, that's absolutely peachy. Yeah. But for my client, if they're looking and people have rung me up and said, there's no smoke control order zone, should I be worried? Mm. They don't need to know that. They don't need to know the irrelevant stuff. Mm. If we have it digitally deployed, then we can use that to pull out the material information that will impact the average consumer's transactional decision. Yeah. And, th and that is what we need to be doing. But not every, just challenge that point, not, not every consumer's an average consumer. No, really good point. And so, that's why we have buyer beware, isn't it? Because yeah, you I mean, have to make sure that they identify. And when we talk about know your customer, yeah, yeah. what we're talking about here is knowing what their planned use and enjoyment is the property. Yeah, yeah. So the average consumer would be concerned, for example, if it was a listed building and there yeah. was um, something, um, say, that the property was going to flood yeah. that that's going to impact everybody isn't yeah. it but for the specific points yeah. if i've got a white van i need to know that there are restrictions on the ability to use that property yeah. so that i can check and see if one of those restricted covenants would prevent me from parking my white van there so that's and where the caveat emptor bit comes yeah, in yeah, the yeah. buyer beware it's only a tiny weeny bit now though if we think about it common law says that the seller should be providing all of the information um, in an understandable form to anybody buying property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even if they know that that buyer wants to use it in a particular way, so they wanted to develop yeah. the land, it confirms that the seller should um, respond specifically to those points. And yeah. that, that was a case last year about that. Yeah, so buyer beware for those who don't know is the kind of basic principle that means if you, um, you, you the buyer, need to find out what you need to know about the property and yeah. whether it you know meets your needs. I think... Um, uh, personal opinion, but I think it's often been used as a as a way of designing the system. In other words, I, I don't have to tell you; you have to ask the questions, yeah. and it turns into a bit of a game. Well, and, and this I, is and where we I got everything it, wrong, yeah. you see, because that's where it's taking the proactivity yeah. out of um, the transaction. Yeah. Um, but as I say, once you actually distill it down to where it sits, that yeah. is only about the specific consumers. Yeah requirements and as i say there is already the law on the estate agent to require yep. them to provide all of the information that would impact the average consumer yep. and upon the seller common law um, yep. and you've got the misrepresentation act um, and then on top of that you do have buyer beware and that's where the buyer has to make sure they tell their conveyancer and preferably the seller as well yep. how they intend to use the property so that their conveyancer can do the due diligence on that so let's get specific then what why isn't that, in, or is some of that information available up front 
um, which has become the sort of label to describe you know, how it could be better if you had upfront information. What information isn't available? Is it the personal stuff that the owner knows and holds in their filing cabinet somewhere? Or is it the public information? Is it all of it, some of it? And, and what's, what's in the way of that being available? So uh, there is the uh, consumer protection from unfair trading regulations, which yeah. says that when the property is advertised, yeah. the estate agent or anybody marketing the property must provide the material information. So as I say, that yeah. is the information that would be material to the average consumer's transactional decision. Yeah. Now, back in 2008, that was um, uh, brought into act, uh, into act, into, <laughs> I can't think of the right word, but you know into, what into I law. mean. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, and so the estate agents from them were supposed to be producing yeah. it, but they didn't because nobody asked them for it and nobody was enforcing it against them. Then we had all of that leasehold mis-selling issue where um, people were buying properties and then finding out they got doubling leaseholds or they were told that the lease, uh, the rent would double um, every 10 years, but not told that those 10 years uh, end next year so that their rent was going to double then. Um, and so as a result of that, National Trading Standards, the state and letting agents team were given the um, task of producing guidance mm. to ensure that the estate agents knew exactly what they're supposed to be providing. Mm. And when I say estate agent, it could be a developer, it could be mm. anybody doing the marketing. And so they have already published part A, they're doing it in three parts. Part A confirms that that information, uh, material information, must include all of the financial things that would impact affordability. So that anybody looking to buy that property knows whether they can afford it. And when they put in their mortgage application, knows whether the lender will lend them uh, lend on it. We've got part B and C still to come, and they um, say that they're aiming to get that out by the end of spring, which now is looking like end July. Hmm. Um, and part B will be um, about whether there are utilities, which utilities, um, whether there's parking, any restriction on parking. Yeah. Um, and I think it'll even go down to whether there's um, broadband and, and mobile coverage. Mm -hmm. And then part C is the woolly one. That's the, the mm. things that apply to some properties, but not all properties. So mm -hmm. restricted covenants, listed buildings, conservation areas, things like that. Mm -hmm. So that very much um, anybody who wants to view a property will first be able to see that material information mm. um, and as I say because it'll be provided digitally and the portals are all involved with this so right moves Oopla mm. booming um, on the market are all involved in um, looking at how this should be delivered mm. um, and that will mean that a buyer before they fall in love with the property will mm. see whether it will work for their intended use and enjoyment so yeah. if they want to park their white van they'll know that they can park their white van but I mean, I know it's not, as you say, it's not, it's not fully planned out and developed yet. But is that, in in your expectation, going to fulfil the needs of all the information that would otherwise then have, have been later gathered by the conveyancer, uh, you know, the the, the buyer's surveyor, etc.? Is it is everything going to be upfront? And if if so. How's that going to happen? Because not all of it's available instantaneously today, is it? Where's where's the owner's own information, um, the stuff that they've got in their filing cabinet, and um, who pays for it? So, uh, material the requirement for material will trigger. 
the upfront information because if you think yeah. where would you find all of that information from yeah. you're going to have to get in the searches you're going to have yeah. to get in the local search the drainage search the environmental data so the seller's going to have to the seller's going to have to gather all of that yeah. um, and then they're going to have to get their title in and then they're going to have to complete all of the information now it's not just the information that the conveyancer or solicitor needs to know yeah. it's all of the information that the valuer that the buyer and the conveyancers would need to know and the mortgage lender of course yeah. so we've created at the home buying and selling group the buying and selling property information data set yeah. um, over 200 questions but don't worry if you're thinking of selling because um, we've deployed AI in there so that you only answer the ones that are relevant to your property yeah. so if you say at the beginning that your property is freehold you're not going to be answering or seeing any questions yeah. about leasehold now because this is all gathered digitally um, yeah. that data can then be sucked in um, that's a technical term from um, places like relevant authorities so sucked in using business gateway from land registry yeah. from um, getting that in from the uh, local authorities from anywhere actually that they deploy the unique property reference number um, which enables you to identify what data applies to that property yeah but there's still some of that is some of that still takes you know, days if not weeks to gather, doesn't it? Is that going to delay people being able to put their property on the market? No, that's not the plan. The plan is very much that the property go on the market, but it's going to identify on the estate agent's listing yeah. that information is missing. So that right. you can make a decision and make a choice as to whether you still want to view the property. There will be an ask agent button on there. And also I points to um, identify for the consumer what it might mean to them. Um, so if but if, those but if, the, if the search is missing, does that mean if I know it's going to take time and it's going to stop me putting the property on the market, I can just say it's missing and I don't have to do it? No, you'll still have to do it. Uh, the estate right. agent, don't forget, has a legal obligation to provide that information. Now, how national trading standards decide yeah. to enforce this is obviously entirely up to them. And, that, yeah. and it, they, you know, they're not going to be doing this for some time they've yeah. got to enable it to transition in and, yeah. and for everything to get out there yeah. but you know the reality is that the majority of searches are back within 10 working days yeah. yes there are some awful ones that we all know about as a postcode lottery yeah. um, but there's other places that you can get the information yeah. um, and the information um, has to be uh, either the authority information, so yeah. you'd want to make sure that you can identify the provenance of that, yeah. or that you can identify that it hasn't come from the authority, it's come from somebody's yeah. memory. Yeah. Um, and then you can decide if you're going to rely upon that or yeah. if you, you need to see further. So you think this law is, you know, I'm, I'm inferring, you think this law is needed in order to kind of drive the right behaviours at the beginning as you put the property on the market to create that upfront information. It's in as we just said, using the seller's interest to do so because then the transaction is likely to happen more well, quickly. Not but... just that, also, if you think for the seller, um, since the financial crisis, there yeah. have been huge issues with title that have impacted the ability to obtain mortgages. Yeah. We didn't have these before. We didn't have cladding. We didn't have um, doubling ground rents. We didn't have estate rent charges yeah. uh, in such a, a way that it meant that you couldn't get mortgages through them. And those will reduce the value of the 
property and what the seller can get for it. Yeah. Now, the majority of those can be resolved. Um, yeah. You can extend your lease. You can get your building safety safety case yeah. report to identify that there is no remediation required. Yeah. Um, but you can only get that if you know that you need to. Yeah. Well, most sellers would have absolutely no idea. So by so, gathering so the, the information up front, yeah. their conveyancer or solicitor can identify for them the issues that there might be that would prevent them from selling on the open market. Yeah. and would prevent lenders from lending on it and say, it's your choice. Do you want to yeah. change this? Do you want to improve it? Um, well, you might get more money for it. In the same way that as an estate agent, I used to go out to probate properties and yeah. say to the beneficiaries, well, look, if you if you decorate it, you'll probably get a bit more money, but actually, do you want to bother with it or do you want to sell it as is? And some would. Some would put in new carpets, take out all the disability supports and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but others would just whack it on the market. And yeah. then I would know that I got um, a, a buyers who were absolutely would buy it super quick. Yeah. And so I'd use that issue as a way of selling the property. And I'd bring yeah. them up and say, I've got absolute bargain for you. Come and have a look. And that, that property would be sold really quickly. So that won't change for the estate agents today. Yeah. Estate agents are brilliant at selling. Even if there is an issue with a property, yep. uh, with a title, they're going to know the people who will be able to buy it for cash if it's one that would prevent lender. Yep, yep. And they'll get that phone call going, oh, I've got an absolute bargain for you. <laughs> I, I never seem to get that phone call. No, um, no but that's so, because you really, well, you know. I'm you, also not a property investor. Exactly, so, you're not a property um, investor. The, so, you you know, what you're describing there is is, is a seller should be incentivized to to you know, if, if if you truly understand how advantageous it is, both in terms of time and clarity and certainty of selling, and you know, and selling at the right price to the right market, gathering that information up front would be would be good to you. But it hasn't happened yet, so that that sort of simple logical reason for doing it hasn't meant that it's happened. What what what's the way that we can make it easier? So that the law could come right and make it compulsory. The incentives, we can explain the incentives and hope people get it. But what would make it so easy that it's kind of a no-brainer? So, you know, th um, you, know you hear talk of property logbooks as, you know, the, the way an owner can keep the information so that it's ready to go, their own private information is ready to go. You know, we land registry are quick plug digitizing the whole of local land charges. Is that the sort of thing, genuinely, that is going to really make a, a real world difference as well because it makes it so easy that it, you, you know you don't need great incentives or process or law to, to enable it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the difficulty that we've got is that people don't move very often. Mm. Um, and so they can't work out whether that move was great or not because mm. they've got nothing to compare it to. Mm. Um, and so there is no incentive. Mm. Um, the seller will do what they're told to do. Um, if the estate agent says to them, we've got a way of making this so that your transaction won't fall through. Because don't forget, most sellers are buyers as well. Yeah. Um, and so it would make total sense to them to be able to ensure that their transaction will definitely go through and gather the information on the property that they're going to buy and be able to see that and make sure that they're going to be able to yeah. um, get a mortgage on it. Yeah. And then moving so upfront information into the process itself, you, 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 you know, that single source of truth, everyone using the same information. 
that seems easy, right? I mean, you know, computers well, can talk to each other. Why, why, what's, the, what's the issue there? Why well, I mean, happening? what we need is, just as you say, we need that digital property logbook. It's a digital deeds packet yeah. where you can suck all the data in, you can deploy what is relevant to that particular stakeholder. Yeah. So for a lender will have very different requirements to what the consumer will have. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we can see that all the time with the valuations. Yeah. Um, and certainly we say to buyers, you do need a survey because yep. the mortgage company is just valuing it. It's not actually looking at the elements of necessarily building quality. Yep. Um, so, you know, there, there's always going to be stuff that people will need to know about, um, different stakeholders will need to know. So, But, but moving into the convincing process itself, why, if everyone knows what they're buying and everyone knows who they're dealing with, why why do you still get this sort of A chasing, B chasing? Why don't they all have a sort of really clear central picture of what's going on? Why can't they get to exchange really quickly? But Because there is no project manager, really, is there? Um, you know, you're reliant upon the estate agent who is acting for the seller to be the one chasing things up and down the chain. Um, that takes a huge amount of time because how do you get a hold of people? But um, why aren't the systems all connected? Why can't we all see well, the same exactly. process? Exactly, and we are, we are seeing those happening, aren't yeah, we? We're yeah. seeing some of those things coming forward. Yeah. But that's because technology hasn't been um, financed, it hasn't been there to do it. So is there is there a... Because it's happened in you know banking and share markets. If, yeah, know, if you think <laughs> a of, long time ago. So. If you think of open banking, yeah. um, you know, and, and that's the thing. Certainly, the um, technology subgroup of the home buying and selling group right. have looked at how this can be done. We've had a proof of concept, yeah. um, and we've had transactions going through digitally yeah. um, because all of that data can be shared yeah. and it can be done. Um, but, but now that's we about need making sure that people can plug it. in and yeah. use the same. So there's about data standards and connectivity and and is there any is there any um, are there any kind of cultural barriers or you know. Uh, just norms, you know, ways of... Um... Oh, so we've got all the standard um, transformation barriers that you would have in anything. Yep. So we've got all of those barriers where people are fear fearful of change, they want to protect um, their competitive advantage, yep. um, and all of those things do deploy out. So where transactions may go through very much quicker with one particular conveyancer over another one um, and a group of uh, um, estate agents and conveyancers getting together and saying we can nail it this way. Um, you know, where is their incentive to share the wealth with others? Well, we are seeing that coming through now and, you know, we've seen the um, TM Group uh, pilot with Thomas Legal mm. producing hugely fantastic reduced times for exchange of contracts, yep. much less fall through rates. Um, as a result of deploying the, the buying and selling property information and upfront information. So we know that it, it can then deliver. And of course, don't forget, for those protecting their competitive advantage, well, actually, you can only move as fast as the slowest person in the chain, so yeah. it still yeah. will be causing them an issue. Yeah. And of course, the amount of wasted resource chasing up transactions that fall through. So, so all of those things can so be deployed. If it's doable, and it would be way better for the consumer, if we can call the kind of buyer and the seller the consumer in this. That's, that's who it's for, right? <laughs> it's their transaction. Why isn't why isn't their why haven't their interests meant that it has changed already? Why you know you 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 talked about we don't do this very often, so we don't know what good looks like. How do you how do you allow what 
the consumer's need for better, their knowledge of better and their demand for better, how, how, why is that not playing through in change? It's all got to go out in the consumer press, hasn't it? They have to be made uh, aware that they have these options. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you think Uber, um, that absolutely has taken over all, all of these things. But that's fine because you would take a taxi and you would know from yeah. one day to the next whether it's easier or not, whether it's cheaper or not. Yeah. If you're not moving well, if you're only moving two or three times in your lifetime, yeah. it's really hard to, to identify that. Now, the people who should be pushing this out there are the estate agents and the conveyancers going, hey, look, this is so much easier. Why don't we do this? Um, but then you've got to talk the other conveyancers into doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's all this worry um, that comes with your professional indemnity insurance. And well, if I provide all this information up front, am I then going to increase my liability? Well, I'm mm. delighted to say that we did talk to one of the largest um, PI insurers mm. and say, look, if we produce the BASPI, is that going to increase liability? And they're, no, absolutely not. That's going to decrease it yeah. because you're providing the information to the buyer before they put their offer in, but also you can evidence that they've been provided with that information and yeah. they proceeded anyway. The, the BASPI is the protocol that says what information up front would be That's the data helpful. set, which yeah. says yeah, exactly. um, the data set exactly. of all of the information that is required. So mm. you are uh, invited, as I think you sometimes are, to you know write in a national newspaper or online about um, how much better it could be to the consumers, direct to the you know the public. Um, what would you say? What would you say um, is you know compared to the experience now, which you've described? Um, what's what's somewhere between forty five minutes, which was exceptional and not <laughs> unnecessarily so, yeah. uh, and the current experience? What should consumers really be entitled to expect? Um, so if we had a magic wand, um, now Mike, you and I have both looked at other jurisdictions and, and how they do it. And places like Norway, um, all of the information is provided up front. It means that the, when the buyer goes to put their offer in, they've already qualified their mortgage and ensured they can get it. And as a result of that, they're able to put a binding offer in. Now, there is a cooling off period of, I think it's a week, isn't it, where they can um, decide whether or not they, they really want that property. Um, and also find out if they can sell their own in that time or, or do whatever they need to do. Um, and that has to be the, the what we would love to see is binding offers um, and that certainty and transparency. Um, now, yes, of course, there will be um, a lot more advice given prior to them putting that offer in, but we don't want it to go back to the old Scottish system mm. where buyers used to have to get surveys on lots of different properties and mm. in the hope that their offer would be accepted. It, it needs very much to be like it is in other jurisdictions where you know that you can review it all, you mm. can make sure that it's appropriate to your intended use and enjoyment, mm. you can identify which lender will lend upon it, um, and so that when you put your offer forward, mm. when it's accepted, you know that you're you're done deal. You've got the certainty and the transparency. And there'll be people listening to this who will say, "Ah, oh, binding offer—that's a different system. That that requires a change in the way you know the law works in in this country." And I would I would um, I would kind of slightly change your vision <laughs> for me yeah. and say. If, like Norway, you have all that information up front, you have a you know a binding offer from 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 your lender that means you can buy it, you know all you need to know, you can get to the most binding of binding offers, exchange of contracts, way way quicker, right? And and you know I have talked to people who have who have got there within days flat, uh, and then they take whatever time they need in agreement with the seller over 
when they actually move. But the yeah. thing that gets them that security, that confidence that they're going to get the property they want is obviously the exchange of contracts. Call it a binding offer, call yep, it you know yep, yep. full and, out exchange of contracts. You know, and, and one of the things, first things I did for the home buying and selling group was uh, chaired the reservation agreement yep. um, uh, group, and we created a two A four sided yep. uh, reservation agreement financial commitment yep, yep, yep. Um, with all of the necessary flexibility if there was a down valuation, yep. um, and that went over. But the the ministry unfortunately did not see that in working hand in hand with the upfront information so in and of itself it was just going to bind um, buyers into 22 weeks of terror and with a financial impact if they couldn't come out Um, and so the the researchers for the ministry said well we we don't even want to pilot this because um, you know without upfront information we we feel it's going to upset the market so that I think is exactly as you say Mike you know where you've got Norway Denmark Australia's um, vendor disclosure states having that information plus the binding offer means that everybody knows what's expected of them And the interesting thing when they did the research um, around the reservation agreement mm. was that buyers, because they didn't have the information up front, psychologically mm. felt that it was okay just to pull out. Mm. Um, and so they wanted to be able to pull out because mm. until they knew what the bargain was, mm. why would they have a financial commitment? Mm. So what we're saying to the consumers is that um, there is the upfront information that will enable you to make a really you know straightforward decision about and and with no you know no later surprises you can then commit yourself your conveyancer will be able to receive that package information etc and they too will be able to kind of advise you on your personal needs and whether you know what you're seeing what they're seeing from a sort of specialist point of view is is just you know the same as what you're seeing and it's something that yeah, you should Yeah and go whether it's going to match your intended use exactly, enjoyment because exactly. you're not you're no longer looking at it from an average perspective yeah. you need to then make sure that if you exactly. want to park your white van you're able to park your white van and 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 because of all the information is available and because everyone's systems talk to each other that should be just a matter of the availability of the time of the conveyancer to kind of review it before you can then, you know, reservation or no reservation agreement, make the proper commitment, which is the exchange of contracts. Yeah, and there'll be um, also a load of AI deployed, let's face it. So there will be systems that come out and enable um, a consumer to be able to see, will this property tick the boxes, which lenders will lend on it. Um, so all of that um, becomes available now probably not in our lifetime (laughs) but if we can at least get the information available up front digitally and we can deploy a property data trust framework so that we know how safe that data is and whether it can be relied upon then that's going to make a huge huge difference Uh, I look forward to making that substantial progress Uh, maybe it's not completely all done by robots but that substantial progress uh, very soon and thank you very much Beth I hope you'll uh, come back and talk to us in a bit more detail about the things that actually need to happen and who needs to do what but thank you very much for joining us today thanks Mike always happy to chat you know me thank you so much for listening in our next episode uh, we speak with Kate Faulkner OBE who is a consumer champion for those uh, who are uh, buying and selling homes and we will discuss the achievements of the home buying and selling group of which she's the chair and explore how much um, more progress uh, we could make through partnership across the industry this is property with a view available on all the usual platforms please do leave a review and a rating